Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. episode 31 so nice to have everyone here oh yeah it's good to be here (laughs) welcome 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 you and you and even you way over there hello thanks for joining us yeah we see you just lurking in the corner (laughs) ominously perfect what are you doing in there they're on the dark side they had to just be lurking ominously yeah what's the knife for (laughs) (laughs) okay look away look away don't make eye contact (laughs) Please leave the dark side now, actually. Yeah, you, you can't know sit what? with us. This is a safe space for people who don't want to get stabbed. Just a safe space. <laughs> you can't be here. You can't sit with us. I don't really have anything of like, you know, any like updates or news or anything. So I don't know, unless there's something you wanted to open with. Oh, you know, I always got some. What is it? I really wasn't expecting you to call my bluff on that. Oh, well, I, I could see on your face how yeah. you just had a really long stare out into the distance of like, uh-oh. Yeah. I didn't prepare for that one. No. <laughs> you know what? Talk first. Think about it later. That's what I always say. Yes. Yeah. I-, I can see that. I can see yeah. that for you. Mm-hmm. I guess let's just say um, that uh, we thank everyone for joining in and listening. And yeah. coming back every week. It's really nice. Yeah, appreciate you. We appreciate you. Thank you for giving our show your time and a chance and supporting the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I need a tissue. I don't have anything else in my life. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You're my only friends. You're my only friends. Sorry, okay. I'm just all sweaty because I was watching cops. I'm actually sweaty. It's because it's fucking hot in here. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, fine if we have the AC on and stuff. And then when we record, it's like, fuck, we don't want all of that background noise. So we have to turn it off. And then instantly you're like, oh, no. Yeah, you feel <laughs> a, it. A couple hours of this, huh? Yeah. Oh, no, we're in it. <laughs> okay, now let's just stop pointlessly bantering now. And um, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? All right, let's give the people what they're here for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, people. And Dyson, thanks. Yeah, yeah, you know, the afterthought. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. All right. This um, case I'm going to talk to you about today is an Australian case. So we are going to Australia and and we have not, uh, you know, been over there since episode 13. And it took every ounce of my being not to try and do an Australian accent. I think that we did this at the end of last week's episode and i was like i won't even try and then i immediately tried and i was like what the fuck (laughs) girl you can't do it girl you're bad at it (laughs) don't listen to your gut on that one (laughs) i will not just out of like you know dignity's sake for the people of australia try and do an australian accent because yeah i really not it's just sad yeah (laughs) also like no one needs that and not Australian, why do I, why should I be speaking like I am? <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're going to Australia. Okay. And I'm going to tell you about 
Brisbane's longest running cold case and the quote-unquote crime that stole Brisbane's innocence. Oh, shit. Poor Brisbane. Yeah, they were sweet little baby angels until this crime. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Little innocent little koalas. Oh, cute. Love koalas. Koalas, fun fact, are actually my favorite animal. You don't like my fun facts about koalas. I don't, actually. <laughs> and don't spoil it for anyone else who loves koalas. All they right, can no, go look for it on their cuddly. own if they want, but... <laughs> fucking dyson this kid ruining everything yeah all right i'm here for you okay here we go it's september 19th 1952 and betty shank's father is waiting up for her to arrive home from her evening classes the shank's family lives on montpellier street in the safe and peaceful suburb of grange in brisbane queensland Betty was routine and punctual and should have arrived home around 10 p.m. at the latest. So by 1.30 a.m. when she still wasn't home, her father grew concerned and reported her missing to the authorities. Just four hours later, at 5.30 a.m., Alex Stewart, who was one of the neighbors and an off-duty police officer, went outside his home to grab his newspaper when he saw the violently beaten body of a woman on his neighbor's property line just on the corner of Carberry Street and Thomas Street. The body was that of 22-year-old Betty Shanks, who had last been seen at 9.32 p.m. the night before when she got off a tram at Days Road Terminus in Grange after attending her night classes in the city. The foul play that she met on her short walk home to Montpellier Street has led to one of the oldest and most notorious unsolved murder cases in Queensland, Australia. Why? Their innocence. (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. So I know I just dumped a lot of information on you. I said a very detailed scene there with a lot of things that you're probably like, okay, what do I focus on here? That was a lot. (laughs) So don't worry. We are going to talk about everything, obviously, that I just said in the intro there and kind of like walk through it, break it down. We'll talk about Betty. We will talk about her movements that night um the crime scene all of that so let's just start with betty first okay i'll tell you a little bit about betty okay Mm -hmm. betty shanks was a beautiful vivacious libra born october 10th 1929 in wilston queensland all right i don't know if you know this probably queensland is like the state or the province yeah and then Brisbane, for example, is like the city. Yeah. Australia is the country. Okay. Just so you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> I heard you over there and smile like a little like, because <laughs> I was like, she's a beautiful, vivacious Libra. Yep. So, I actually looked up um, this day, October 10th, just to see what it said for like personality wise, what she would have been like. Mm-hmm. So a Libra born on October 10th excels in all things that are deep, research that is hidden from plain sight, 
alternative methods of healing or surgery, and esoteric knowledge. They are to discover that their path isn't the one that is common, and they are motivated to constantly evolve over boundaries of fear. People born on this date must learn to rely on their own inner judgment first before they can function in relationships with others in a deep and fruitful manner. And this all describes Betty perfectly, because it seems this was exactly the path that she was taking. So when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness. Mm. Based on all the information I've read about her, that really is like all encapsulating of what it seems she was doing with her life. It's really fitting. So I'll tell you about that now. And you can just think about that little um, statement for Libras born on October 10th. Okay. So she was described as, quote, seemingly without an enemy in the world, end quote. She was a determined young woman living her best life and focusing on her career. She wasn't married. And as far as her friends and family knew, she didn't have a boyfriend. And she lived at home with her parents in their peaceful suburban home. She studied psychology at the University of Queensland and graduated in 1950. Nice. And she took a job as a trainee personnel officer with the Commonwealth Department of the Interior. Oh, that sounds very bureaucratic. It sounds very like... Um, Ministry of the Interior. Yeah. It sounds like 1984. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Ministry, Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Love. The Ministry, this one's the Commonwealth Department of the Interior. So yeah, she got a trainee personnel position there and she was working from an office on Ann Street in Brisbane. So she worked in the city and lived out in like a little suburb with her family. Mm-hmm. As part of her job, Betty attended night classes after work on Wednesdays and Fridays. So yeah, I just thought that was cool when I was looking up the October 10th um, sort of, you know, personality, astrological traits, whatever for a Libra born on that day mm-hmm. and how it was like they um, uh, will do all things that are like deep and research things that are hidden from plain sight mm-hmm. and alternative methods of healing. Like, and she studied psychology. Yeah. So I was like, that's really neat. And then how it's like they um, should really learn who they are first before they commit themselves to like a relationship or a serious right anything serious yeah and she was just she still lived at home she was just focused on herself doing her own thing on her career which it's 1952 she graduated from university she's a real spinster by now right like she's like (laughs) forging her own path and just i say that lovingly god bless the spinsters yeah 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 like it's just of the time people would have been like why oh why isn't betty married yet does she have is anyone planning to take her hand no it's because betty's gonna be cool as shit in the eyes of people 30 years from now exactly betty knows who she is she knows she wants to go to school for psychology she got this cool job at the interior Mm -hmm. and she's doing night classes too so like she just was very driven driven focused on herself seeing who she could become I mean, she's only 22, so I'm sure there was, like, in a, in her mind somewhere, like, well, you know, one day, like, when I have a family or if I'm married or see someone or whatever. But, like, at least for at this point, she was like, I just want to live at home, be with my parents, and focus on my career. Yeah. And I just, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Especially, if, like, again, especially for the time. Like, 
1950s. You think of that like, you know, housewife, like a nuclear suburban family, housewife, yeah. nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no, thank you. I will make my own way. And I was like, Betty's cool. So, yeah, that's really all I know about Betty. Yeah. So, so we will get to this point here. Um, I had just ended that, my little blurb off um, when I was talking about her, that she uh, did night classes after work on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yep. So Friday, September 19th, 1952 was like any other day. She did a day's work and then attended night school classes at Brisbane Commercial High School. Mm-hmm. Um, her, so Betty and two other students from her night class were driven partway home by their lecturer, Edward Milliken. Okay. So he dropped. So I'm never go not going to find that weird, but okay. <laughs> you know, fifties, you know. <laughs> lecturer. Yeah. Driving them home. Students no. home. He just dropped them off partway home. He dropped the yep. So he dropped Betty off at a tram stop. Um, a tram is like a streetcar. Mm -hmm. uh, so tram stop at 19, which is on Lutwich Road in Windsor, where she boarded tram car 434 bound for Grange. And Grange is the suburb that she lives in. Okay. So Dyson, I told you I would let you see here on a map just so you can visualize it with me. And then everyone else who's listening, by the time you're listening, this will be on our Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. So you can look at the photos there to um, see what we're seeing. Yeah. So this is Tram Stop 19. This is where um, – also, everyone, I'm just talking to Dyson right now. <laughs> <laughs> Stop listening. <laughs> everyone, class, pull out your textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Tram Stop 19. That's where the lecturer, the teacher, Edward, dropped the students off. Right, okay. Oh, come on, man. I just hit a bunch of buttons. <laughs> okay and this blue line symbolizes like the track that the tram car would have taken right okay so yeah that's a few blocks it's, yeah it's not too far so no, you could definitely walk it like if you were drunk at a bar you'd walk it yeah it would probably take you like this is a lot that that was my metric <laughs> <laughs> it would probably distance. take you like 45 minutes or an hour but it yeah. would. Yeah, okay. Also, she didn't walk, okay? I said, stop confusing the people. I know, yeah. All right, so what we know about the timeline of events, now that everyone has has followed us on social media and has their little maps up and can follow along. <laughs> <laughs> nice reading glasses, by the way. Very cute. <laughs> so we know that at 9.32 p.m., it was the last time that Betty was seen alive. Her tram arrived at Grange, tra Grange Tram Terminus. Oh, my God. On Days Road. And there's a map of that. Uh, she began her roughly 10-minute walk to Montpellier Street by heading towards Thomas Street. So she got off at the tram stop and headed home. Okay. Sometime between 9.38 p.m. and 9.53 p.m., Betty was attacked on the footpath and then brutally beaten, murdered, and left at the edge of the backyard on the corner of Thomas Street and Carberry Street. The property was owned by a woman named Mrs. Hill. So when you, when I say Mrs. Hill's property in the future, that's the property Betty was found on. Okay. So we also know that it was between this time period 
that um, it was that she was murdered and like attacked and murdered mm-hmm. because it was only a few minutes walk from the Days Road tram stop to Thomas Street. And when her body was found, she was wearing a gold wristwatch that had stopped at 9.53 p.m. So there's this 21 minute period after she left the tram stop that this attack happened and she likely died. Okay. So Dyson, this um, is the map. So that's the day's road stop that she got off of. Mm-hmm. And she walked this way and came down Thomas Street right here. Montpellier, you can see that's where she lives. Yep. And it's it says here that it's like maybe a seven minute walk. Right. So it's really not that far. So she got off here. She walked down this way. Mm-hmm. And it's about this section here between Carberry and the next block. Okay. That's about where she was attacked. So she was she was turning the corner and then the like block ahead of her mm-hmm. is where it happened. Yes. Okay. So it's just ugh, like her home was right there. Yeah, she's very close. She's four blocks away. It's this tiny little space that she walked all of the time. And this is about where the footpath was. And this is like a school. This green spot on the map is a school. So... It's not like a completely isolated area. Yeah, and it, you know, generally by school zones isn't necessarily known as the most, you know, run down or dangerous area. Yeah, and they live in like this quiet, peaceful suburb. Yeah. So that night that she was attacked, seven people, including Mrs. Hill and Alex Stewart, who I mentioned at the beginning is the neighbor who found the body, mm-hmm. they reported hearing screams around 9.40 p.m., However, when some of these people went to their windows or doors to check it out, they didn't see anything or anyone. So I don't know what the streetlight situation was at the time, uh, if it wasn't like lit up that late. Mm -hmm. But I do know from the newspaper articles that there was no moon. It was a new moon. Oh, so it was dark. So it was like a moonless night. It was very dark. Yeah. What's exceptionally sad and a little bit disappointing about this part of the story is that one alex his view of the area where betty was being attacked mm-hmm. was obstructed so he didn't see the attack unfolding even though it would have been like just meters away so okay. when he only went to the window and looked like he could have seen it but because of the like trees and stuff he just didn't oh that's so frustrating yeah and then two what's so like frustrating or like disappointing is that a passenger from the following tram reported passing by the backyard at 9 53 p.m this is believed to be the time that betty died and police think that the killer was likely still in the yard oh my god so the the tram that came up after the one betty got off of he, he just this passenger just like walked by like betty would have been doing just walking home mm-hmm. and didn't know that she was just laying there. Yeah. Being like Because like you don't have your eyes out for that. Especially no. in 1950s. Yeah. It's like nine. It's almost 10 at night. You're like, I just want to go home. Yeah. So th- those two parts are just like, oh, if only, if only your view wasn't obstructed or if only you looked over and saw. Yeah, it's got to suck for them. Like being like, fuck, I was so close to it. Yeah. That would drive me insane. I'd be so pissed off because it sounds like it's a, one that fucking sucks and you want to help but also two is like now it's a long-standing mystery that's just gonna eat away mm-hmm. at you mm-hmm. yeah 
So Betty's attacker fled into the moonless night and she laid there undiscovered until Alex went outside at 5.35 a.m. the following morning to get his paper and saw Betty's body lying on the grass in Mrs. Hill's backyard. So Betty had likely been attacked on that footpath of, of Thomas Street, like I said, which was covered by trees. And then she was probably pushed over or thrown over the chain link wire, like the chain link fence mm-hmm. um, of the Hills residence before being brutally beaten to death. Oh. So from start to finish, the attack lasted like about 12 minutes at most. And by 9.53, Betty was believed to be dead. Okay. And like I showed you on that, on this map, like she was at this point, three blocks from home. Mm-hmm. She was so close to home. This is a path that she would have walked all the time. You wouldn't think that in your like little peaceful suburb right near your home that this could happen. Yeah. So police were called and detectives arrived. Her face and legs had traces of black boot polish where it appeared that she had been kicked. There was also an unusual dotted imprint on her forehead. She was kicked in the face with such force that one of her teeth was forced through her cheek. Oh, That's how brutal it was. Yeah. Just before I keep going, I'll show you the imprint. Because the imprint is going to come back later like a hundred times. Okay. So this is the imprint. It's on Instagram as well. Oh, it's it's like a it's got like a pattern to it. Yeah, so it's above her right eyebrow. It's pretty big. Yeah, and it's got like the grooves on it kind of look like you you know if like you were like resting your arm on like a corduroy couch too much <laughs> and then you look at it and you see those lines. It's kind of like that on her forehead. But they're like dots though. Yeah, but they're dotted, yeah. Mhm. Like a, yeah, it's definitely some sort of like indentation mm-hmm. yeah just a weird marking so that's that's one of the first things that the investigators noticed and then on top of being violently beaten and kicked which they know she was kicked because of all this shoe polish on her mm-hmm. um detectives realized that she had been strangled as well oh my fucking god yeah it was very brutal yeah this is this is fucking gross yeah it's very very savage and just like the brutality of it and like it's like almost seems chaotic like it it happened they believed over a span of 12 minutes it's -hmm. like this is so much like just so chaotic crazy someone just like ambushed her essentially grabbed her threw over the fence and just like pulverized her yeah yeah there's no really pummeled i meant pummeled not pulverized not really another way to say this other than just like a savage attack it is like just obviously gave no shits about another human being. Mm-mm. They were just set on killing. Mm-hmm. Um, although Betty's underwear had been removed and her bra straps were broken, there was no evidence of sexual assault. So that just adds more, um, like, ammo, I guess, to the theory of, like, this person just being, like, a brute. They're just, like... They're out for blood, essentially. Yeah. And so because of the brutality of her attack and the injuries that she sustained, the detectives also believed that a blunt instrument was used just because she was so severely beaten. Mm -hmm. 
And then when they were searching the crime scene, the detectives found the tooth that came through her cheek. And they found it several feet away from her body. Wait, what? Yeah. That's a lot. That's a fucking trajectory and a half. Yeah. Holy shit. It's probably just like getting from getting like kicked right in the face. Yeah. Um, they also found two bloody handprints on the nearby fence. Um, what's weird is that robbery was not considered a motive because Betty's jewelry and her purse were left at the scene. And the contents of her purse were like scattered around everywhere, but that could have happened in the struggle, like while she was being like ambushed. Yeah. Um, I also don't know if there was anything missing from the purse. It seems like there wasn't. And like I said, she had all her jewelry and stuff on. So yeah, you don't rob someone and leave jewelry. Yeah, and like <laughs> you know, I would assume I assume they would have been like, oh, like her purse th- was still there and the contents were scattered around, but you know, like her wallet was missing or her, there was no money or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it seems like no one took anything. It was just the attack, and like there's like her underwear's kind of like taken off, but sh- there wasn't actually a sexual assault that happened. Yeah, it's and just this someone over a fence like i could see how that would like snap a bra strap or Mm -hmm, that's true you know if it's just like you're just like grabbing in the middle of the night like it's dark and you're just grabbing someone like Mm -hmm. you can definitely like grab garment and stuff yeah you know so an investigation began and at that time it was queensland's biggest criminal investigation to ever take place all police leave from brisbane was suspended and every available officer was put on the case wow they did routine questioning by going house to house, um, standard stuff, like starting in the area right around the crime scene and then just working their way out mm-hmm. to hear from people, potential witnesses, see what people saw or heard, where they were. So while some of the neighbors that they interviewed claimed that they heard screaming, mm-hmm. there was no actual witnesses to the attack and the murder. Like no one saw with their own eyes what happened. And... What investigators found was that Betty lived a really normal life. There wasn't anything that could point or suggest a motive for her murder. No enemies. Yeah. Like, or anything. No enemies. She didn't seem to be in debt to anybody. She didn't have like a recent falling out with somebody. She didn't yeah, no, even have a boyfriend. No slighted lovers. Yeah. N- no. So the detectives were at like, a total loss and they found themselves with no suspects and only a handful of clues to work with. All right, so what are these clues that investigators have to work with, you're probably asking, right? Yeah, I'm kind of asking that right now. (laughs) So... First clue. Clue number one. It came from the brutality of the attack. To detectives, the brutality suggested a criminal with a history of violence and that they were possibly dealing with a psychopath since, you know, normal person doesn't um, act that way with that just sheer brutality. No shit. Just psychopaths, like actual clinical psychopaths, scare the shit out of me. It's horrifying. Yeah, they just disconnected because they just don't really feel they just much don't, brianna they just don't and they just shouldn't also they should, yeah they shouldn't that as well 
So that was clue number one. They were like, hey, this is bad. I bet this person's psychotic. Great job. (laughs) Probably. Way to go. Second clue was those two bloody handprints. So they were, like I said, they were located on the upper rail of the fence on the Hills property, only a few feet away from Betty's body. Mm-hmm. So to detectives, it appeared that the perpetrator had jumped the fence when he fled the scene. And the handprints were really big. So they knew that it was Ew. likely a male with like large hands. Okay. So that was something to work with. I hate the image of someone dripping in blood hopping over the fence. Yeah. Like not even not even caring to wipe the blood off. Nope. Two Ew. bloody handprints big handprints jesus christ the third clue they had was the traces of black shoe polish found on betty's face and legs where she had been kicked during the assault Mm -hmm. so to detectives this indicated that the murderer had polished shoes and that when he kicked her some polish was transferred to her skin could they maybe (laughs) guess what kind of polish that would be um I don't know. I don't think so. I think mm. it's just black. Yeah, we've we've classified this as um of the shoe variety. It's just it's like these clues are just kind of funny. Yeah. Hey, this person's probably crazy. These handprints are big, so I bet they have big hands. And that looks like shoe polish, so they probably have polished shoes. It's like the guy that was supposed to follow the detective writing down all the things was only listening for the first three minutes of his <laughs> initial reaction Probably. like he walked in she'll like hands on his hips and i was like god damn what psychopath did this look at that shoe polish oh there's some big hands yeah he's like <laughs> great all we need to know yeah. main points key points here we go perfect thank you <laughs> so much closer to solving this case right <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just like like shoe polish in the fifties. Like, throw a rock and you're gonna hit five people that use it. I know, yeah, especially because I do talk about this later on. But like, the nowadays, like people have like eight pairs of shoe shoes minimum, mm-hmm. and they get like worn out or whatever, and you just throw them away. But like mm-hmm. in the fifties, you usually just had one or two pairs of good shoes, and you would actually take them to somebody to repair them, yep. to fix them, A patch cobbler. them up, yeah. yeah, put new soles on, whatever. Like yeah. it it wasn't like your shoes lasted you forever because you kept fixing them. Yeah, it was legit a thing. And also like, you know, the back in like the fifties, like you, everyone wore suits and all this kind of shit, even like hard, like blue collar jobs, like mm-hmm. you would dress up. Right? Yeah, he always looked very presentable. Yes, presentable. So presentable. A um, casual sophistication. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. So these clues, these hard-hitting clues. Yeah. Fourth clue was that unusual dotted imprint on Betty's forehead that I showed you. Mm-hmm. So we briefly talked about it, but the mark was about four square centimeters, and it consisted of, quote, a series of round dots of hemorrhage, each about 1.58 millimeters in diameter, separated by about 1.58 millimeters of normal skin. Not all of the dots are round. Some appeared to be square or rectangular. Others were of a regular shape, end quote. Okay. Let's look at our picture again. Yeah. Uh, Dice and I did not send it to you. So. I have it in my mind, though, still. It's, to me... 
it just looks like a bunch of dots. Yeah, it did to me too. Like, if I look really closely, like I guess I can see like, but it, it it's skin though. I know. Right? Like that's the thing is like, um, maybe it automatically bruises a little, so it fades corners. So it's like really hard to even see like a sharp edge. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if you're trying to picture it in your head, these do look like dots. They just look like dots. Yeah, and even if some of them seem like, oh, well, this one looks like a perfect little circle. This one has like a rougher edge. It's like, but it's on the top of her forehead. Your head is round. Mm-hmm. Who? I, no one even knows what the fuck this object that was that made this impression. One of the things I was like going like, well, pff, what good is this fucking clue? <laughs> <laughs> it was at least from what you can see with the the like almost mechanical separation between the dots yeah that it's not a tree branch well that's yeah. the only thing i'm getting out of that like it's probably not a tree branch because it's just perfectly why, why do you go to a tree branch because of all the trees that were around you i know, see like you swing a swing a branch or something yeah i mean i just wanted to rule that out in my mind because like it's if obvious they used a weapon they brought a weapon yeah it's obviously yeah. a pattern made by, by something man-made just because mm-hmm. of how um yeah. organized the pattern is so uh, the last clue detectives had was to retrace Betty's steps to hopefully put together a picture of her movements and see if that could add some perspective to the events that unfolded that night. Okay. So we've briefly talked about her her movements, how she got dropped off by the lecturer, took the tram down to the day's road stop, mm-hmm. got out, started walking towards Thomas Street. Yep. Before she was attacked on the corner of Carberry and Thomas. Right. So on your map, it's about where the park starts. Or the, sorry, the school. That's where her body was found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Po- sorry, I'm, everyone, I'm pointing at Dyson's map so he can it's, see. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the block, like the end of the block on the street that she just turned onto. Yeah, on Thomas yeah. Street. So she she got to the end of the first block. So that's what the detectives did. They were like, let's go figure out her movements that night. Let's see if anyone was with her, if anyone saw her, what the hell happened here. So they know, we know for sure that, like I said, Betty's lecturer dropped her off at Transtop 19. And at this stop, another woman, a woman named Marie Patton, arrived at the same stop shortly after Betty was dropped off there. So they were the only two passengers on the tram. So it's unlikely that Betty was followed by her attacker from this stop. Right. Okay, that makes sense. It was just Betty and Marie. Yeah. So the tram arrives at Grange, tra- Grange Tram Terminus. On, I cannot believe you could say that. <laughs> on Day's Road, which is where she gets off. Yep. And Marie is getting off at this stop, too. But Marie gets off first. And Marie is walking ahead of Betty. And they both head towards Thomas Street. Mm -hmm. And between the terminus and the location where Betty's body is found, there's only about 150 meters. If you're looking at the map, you can see that. It's really not that far. Yeah. No, it's very close. So there's this limited stretch where Betty could have crossed paths with her attacker. So it's believed either she was followed from the terminus or the killer was waiting to ambush her. Yeah, either way, like the terminus is almost in view. 
Like, no matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So the term, like, the terminus, she could have been followed. Mm hmm. Or they were hiding in that footpath because it was like shrouded in trees. Oh, it's so creepy because that's such an opportunist. Yeah. Like, like hunting prey type deal. The, it just, it is terrifying. Yeah. But the only thing about this is that apparently Marie is also walking down Thomas Street mm-hmm. and she's only about a minute ahead of mm-hmm. Betty. So if the attacker is lying in wait, that means that they let Marie pass without innocent. Incident, mm-hmm. or Marie's house was closer than where the attacker was, so she made it inside of her house before encountering them. Right. Yeah. So she, because they figured out who she was, who Marie was, and she was like, "No, like I didn't see or hear anything along my way home." Mm-hmm. So she might have made it inside of the house before then. Right. And if the attacker was lying in wait on that footpath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm or, sorry. I'm just like. Thinking. I was thinking like, yeah, no, I, because she was so close, like she would have heard something anyway. So yeah. I think I could, it's not reported anywhere, but I think she must have like already made it into her home. It's the only thing that would make sense because I mean, other people heard a scream mm-hmm. and she didn't say anything. No. Because like, even if she kept walking, you would hear that scream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the timing of the attack suggests that Betty may have stopped to talk with somebody at the terminus or along the street because the walk from the terminus to the location of the attack takes about two minutes, but it took seven or eight minutes for Betty to arrive at that spot where she was attacked and killed. So this leaves about five minutes unaccounted for between departing the tram and her attack. Mm -hmm. So this theory may be supported by a witness who saw two people walking together down Thomas Street at approximately 9.36 p.m., minutes before Betty's screams were heard by neighbors. The identities of the two people remained a mystery, but it's likely that it was not Marie because they were she was ahead of Betty. Mm-hmm. They were not walking together. So it's about this time. Like, is this... The person that maybe followed her from yeah. a ter- the terminus or yeah. or caught up to her. Like, you know, people are fucking annoying. Like, could have been like, yo, lady, you got a cigarette? Like, you got change? Oh, or like, what are you doing? What's a beautiful woman walking around unescorted for? Like, yeah. you never know. Yeah. Or they could have been, if the, if the witnesses' reports are right. But like I said, those two people were never identified. But mm-hmm. if that's the case, then they weren't lying in wait. They did follow behind. Yeah. Plus... Betty and Marie were the only two people on that tram, and Marie was ahead. Mm-hmm. So no one would have been behind Betty um, getting off the train to kind of look, look out for her or watch out for her. Yeah. She was alone. Yeah. <clears throat> the location of the blood splatter at the scene indicates that the majority of the attack took place in the hill's backyard. So to investigators, this means the killer initially attacked Betty on the footpath threw her or pushed her over the fence into the yard and then finished the attack. So uh, the killer removed her underwear, but investigators said that she was not sexually assaulted. So was this a, you know, like red herring to sort of stage the scene? Like there was a motive, a sexual motive, Mm -hmm. or was the um, murderer, the attacker interrupted? Yeah. Because remember, a passenger from the following tram 
reported passing by this backyard at the time that Betty is believed to have died. Mm-hmm. And the killer was likely still in the yard. So did this person passing by like kind of scare them back into reality of like, shit, like I am actually out here exposed. Yeah. And so that they didn't have time to like further assault her. I think I fall on, on that one. I think mm-hmm. that's where I, I think that happened that he was interrupted. I think so because, too. Because like, yeah, like you could explain like the underwear removed in a struggle, but like the more simpler like explanation was interrupted. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense too. Uh, so yeah, I've given you so much information. All of the, the couple of these little points that we have been talking about, like her moving from her movements from the mm-hmm. terminus stop to the street, eyewitness of people maybe seeing somebody walking with her, if this was even her. Those were the police investigators, like retracing her steps, trying to put together this picture of of her movements to see what right. could have happened. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you, like, what do you think so far? Like, what's going on in your head? Do you have any questions, anything that needs clarifications? Um, just before I get into more details and then, like, the theories of what happened to her. No, I got a pretty good picture of what's going on. And, I mean, I kind of also understand, like, everyone just kind of going, like, I didn't really see much or I don't know what's going Because it was just... Th- like I, it's Australia, and there's no moon. Yeah, and it's dark as shit. It's gonna be dark as shit. It was very dark, and it's late. And like I used to take the trains, um, like the late night, like the last train, oh, type deal. And I did that in Hamilton, and I don't fucking know why I kept doing that. But That's hey, so scary. Um, but I I know exactly what it's like. Um, when is it like, like isolating, person. like? It, it can definitely be isolating especially if you get out of the major part of the city because like that's the weird thing is i would take it from like the city and i would get into like where it's not really the downtown anymore so exactly like betty yeah and it it goes from you've got like 10 people on the train and or well my, bus, whatever I mean, the sorry. case is like um, more than just you and another person yeah and then all of a sudden like you look around and you're like the last person or the second last person and then you get off and fortunately like i never felt uncomfortable because one i'm a dude uh so <laughs> i'm a strong man guys come up on top again yeah <laughs> we're not threatened when we shouldn't be anyway um but yeah and then we get off the i got off the stop and like my house was right there mm-hmm. um so you know it, it was not too scary but like i know exactly what you're talking about and like yeah i can see how people wouldn't see shit mm-hmm. you know almost 10 o'clock on a friday though so it's like guys come on but it is also a very quiet small peaceful suburb yep. um obviously people heard some screams but just kind of did the typical thing of like go to the window like I don't really see anything. Mm-hmm. I don't really blame people for not like running out into the street to see what it was. Cause like straight yeah. up, if I was sitting here and my like screen door was open and I heard screaming down like below, yeah, I'm, we're up in an apartment. Yeah, I would probably go and look. Oh, for sure, yeah. And if like I didn't see anything, then I'd be like, that was weird. We we fucking we know we would do that because mm-hmm. we hear weird shit all the time, and like 
one of us gets up and looks. Yeah, just kind of look yeah. to see if you can see anything. But you're not going to go out of your way to, like, investigate. Oh, I'm not taking the elevator down with my magnifying glass. <laughs> Corncob pipe going, hmm. Yeah. Something's afoot. Afoot. Like, no, it's probably a fucking coyote or some, yeah. you know. <laughs> In this case of, like, just hearing, like, an indiscriminate, like, scream and then nothing really else. If you just yeah. repeatedly kept hearing blood-curdling screams, then I would absolutely call the police. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you hear it <laughs> once and then your mind searches for automatically a billion different yeah. reasons why that was normal mm-hmm. and not something to be like, holy fuck, I'm going to call the cops over. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems a pretty normal reaction to have. So, yeah, I guess uh, with that, you're ready to sort of get into the theories that have developed. Oh, absolutely. Bigfoot is my running theory. <laughs> Australian Bigfoot. Big hands. Big hands. Big hands. They were like, these are large. Clue number two. Everything's large upside hands. down over there, so makes sense. <laughs> I, and Sorry. every Australian listener just fucking collectively rolled their eyes. So they're like, shut the fuck, <laughs> shut the up. fuck up. Yeah. Yetis to you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking actually if if it is something else, if it's like a Sasquatch or if it's still a Bigfoot over there, do they even have sightings of Bigfoot in Australia? Oh, I, I don't know, but I fucking want to see one now. Um, hello, shit. Australian listeners. Can you message me and tell me if you have like a Bigfoot there, if sightings of Bigfoot, if it's called something else, or like, I'm very intrigu- just, intrigued just now. skinwalkers. That's so scary. Oh my God. Some people probably just cringed. There's two things that freak me out. It's skinwalkers and the chupacabra. I would take a chupacabra any day. I would too, because it starts to seem more like an animal, but skinwalkers. Um, yeah, skinwalkers are fucked. But I was traumatized as a kid because I watched some... Um, like one of those like ghost hunters type things when I was mm. really young and I saw the chupacabra thing and they did the whole like reenactment. Wow. Shit out of me. Creepy. Yeah. Anyway, three number one, chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I was so close. <laughs> no, so the first theory we'll talk about is the first two actually are what the police were working with as theories. Okay. So the first theory that the police had was that they initially believed that Betty had been attacked by a sex offender. Um, a newspaper, a newspaper article, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> a newspaper article read, "Quote: A police search has spread all over Australia for a sex maniac." End quote. God bless the fifties. It's the fifties. Yeah, they were like everyone is a sex maniac. Jesus Christ. <laughs> So the Brisbane police asked police departments in other states to check their records of all known sex offenders because, quote, every mental patient on parole and every mental patient discharged from Goodna Asylum during the past year is being questioned, end quote. So they wanted other departments to follow suit as well. Said the largest fucking investigation at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, I actually looked up Goodna Asylum just because obviously. Goodna. <laughs> Oh, (laughs) good on you. Yeah. Well, it's not what this was. (laughs) So the Goodna Asylum, just for a little bit of context, it's gone by many names, actually. It's been the Goodna Hospital for the Insane, the Goodna Mental Hospital, the Woogaroo Lunatic Asylum. (laughs) That's a great name. Woogaroo? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but today it's called the Park Center for Mental Health, and it's one of the largest psychiatric hospitals in Australia, so it's still open. Okay. This sounds legit, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously it's the 50s. They called them sex maniacs or mental patients. Uh, they were research like just looking into all, all of them. Hey, were you recently released? Where, where have you been? This is the address you're supposed to be staying at. Were you there? Mm-hmm. Uh, where were you? Were you in the area? Like stuff like that. And yeah. literally questioning as many um, former patients as they could. And uh, like I also mentioned, having other states and cities and stuff follow I hope suit. it dawned on them that, you know, <laughs> sex maniacs, quote unquote, that find themselves in the asylum were probably caught first and put there. So, you know, that's a pattern of things happening. There may be one not in an asylum. Right. <laughs> right. But it was at least a place for them to to start, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm not faulting them for doing it. I'm just pointing it out. Yeah. Like, you don't have to have been a former, quote unquote, mental patient to be a sex offender. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's one and then the other usually, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So because police thought it could be a deranged sex offender, mm-hmm. they feared that the killer would strike again and begin. And they uh, began warning women and girls not to go out at night alone or unescorted. Yeah, because the impetus is on them. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, ladies. Yeah. Don't get attacked, okay? Just don't. Just don't. Stay inside. <laughs> or don't be unescorted. Don't go to school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hated going to school. I know. <laughs> okay, at this point in the investigation, the only lead police had to work with came from an unnamed taxi driver who reported seeing a quote-unquote moon-faced man who jumped the fence at the crime scene at about 10.30 p.m. on the night that Betty was murdered. The taxi driver also said he saw the same man three hours later this time in the railway overhead bridge at Newmarket, which is just over a kilometer south of the crime scene. And if you were on foot, it's about a 20-minute walk. What time did he see him initially? He initially saw this moon-faced man jump over the fence at about 10.30. And she is believed to have died at... So he saw him... So he'd been lingering around till, like, up into one in the morning? Uh, well, he was about a kilometer south of the crime scene three hours later. Yeah, I just mean like out and about. Mm-hmm. So this moon-faced man was apparently on that bridge. Ew. And uh, the moon-faced man was described as over 20 years of age, 5 foot 8 inches tall, medium build, large head, moon face, <laughs> short hair sticking out in front, wearing blue jeans and a shirt of blue material with a stripe. I'm going to see this in my nightmares. <laughs> I'm picturing a moonless night looking up onto the bridge and there's just this creepy looking moon face dude. You're like, why is there a moon? You know that old black and white uh, movie where the rocket shoots the the man in the moon? Mm. It's the man in the moon in the eye. Really famous. It's it's like the moon is literally has a face in it. That's what I'm picturing. Ew. But like on a guy. With short hair sticking out in front? Yep. <laughs> it's fucking upsetting. It's really upsetting. It's also a pretty good description. So maybe this taxi driver did see this person a few times. Yeah. No, he, obviously he's picked up on this guy. He's like, what it's the very, fuck? I would be super insulted if someone like called me moon faced because that's so specific. You know they're right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to actually look up what moon faced was because I was like, 
Why are they, they keep saying moon-faced and saying it's a moon-faced man, moon-faced, moon-faced. Dyson is showing me a photo of the film he was talking about. And yeah, I've seen that picture before. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know it was actually from a movie. Yeah. It's an old black and white. Well, I don't like that. Now that I'm picturing that thing, that face with like a weird body, but also that face having strange hair sticking up in the front. Yeah. It's, it's upsetting. It's quite an image. Yeah. So if you also were like me and you didn't know what Moonface was, it's characterized by the face developing around its appearance due to fat deposits on the sides of the face. The most common cause of Moonface is said to be associated with Cushing's syndrome or prolonged steroid treatment. Cushing's syndrome is a disorder that occurs when your body makes too much of the hormone cortisol over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Cortisol is sometimes called the stress hormone because it helps your body respond to stress. Cortisol also helps maintain blood pressure and regulate blood sugar. So scientific fact for you. This fucking psychopath is not only a psychopath, he's fucking roid raging. Potentially. Potentially. If if it's the case of him really being moon-faced, some people just have giant heads. Like, I have a huge head. <laughs> like, but I don't think I'm moon-faced. I like your head. <laughs> <laughs> no complaints yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rue. <laughs> um, yeah, so it could be, if he really is moon-faced and it is because he has Cushing's syndrome, then, or... <laughs> No, just I'm all flustered. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Associated with Cushing syndrome or prolonged steroid treatment. So yeah, he could have been it was just roid raging. I mean he was only five eight. Yeah. Maybe he was like just be like, I can't get taller, I'll go wider. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Brianna, to be perfectly honest with you, that happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the patrol cars and the police, um, they comb the city on foot in their patrol cars, on motorbikes, everything. Um, but they comb the cities, the suburbs, in hopes of sighting a man fitting this description. Because it was a pretty detailed description. Mm-hmm. And they were like, let's look for this moon-faced, roid-raging man. <laughs> Two dozen police officers also kept um, an all-night vigil near the crime scene and in bush country. Uh, just because there was also a, a man reported to be acting suspiciously, kind of just prowling around. Oh, no. There was no trace of a suspicious man in bush country ever found. It's just this, a rue. This, this moon-faced man was never located. So yeah. that uh, was the, the, the police's first theory, that there's this moon-faced sex maniac that did it. Moon-faced, roid-raging sex maniac. It fits because they also were like, this is a brutal crime scene. There must have been a psychopath. That was their first clue. Five foot something, but large hands. Huge hands. Yeah, I wonder if Mr. Moonface had huge hands. It's like tennis rackets. (laughs) (laughs) Another theory. Remember, I said there's two theories the police had. So another theory is that Betty's murder was a case of mistaken identity. Investigators theorized the wrong woman was attacked and the intended target was a receptionist that worked at a doctor's office. The receptionist walked the same route and even down the same street as Betty and likely had Keats on her to the office that contained all of the drugs related to the surgery. She worked at a doctor's office. Right. This receptionist worked at the office of a man named Dr. Donald Carter, 
who was a family man living in Ipswich, Queensland, which is a city about 40 kilometers or 25 miles away from Grange. Mm -hmm. He was 41 years old when he died just after midnight on September 22nd, 1952. Okay. Just a couple days after Betty. Originally, people thought his death was a suicide, and it was very suspicious since Betty was just murdered. The public took this story and ran with it in all directions, saying it wasn't a case of mistaken identity at all. The doctor knew Betty because they were having an affair and he killed her and then killed himself. Um, Since he couldn't live with the guilt and these speculations and rumors were very rough on his family because they knew he was a good man and they that he wouldn't have had an affair with Betty. Also, how would they have even known each other? Uh, There's no uh, evidence that they were associated in any way. This is just one of those like fucking gossip bullshit that happens because Mm -hmm. she's 22 and not like and not married or whatever. And And he's just like, oh, well. I know, right? Like having an affair with the doctor who happened to die a few days later. When they, Fuck off. When they don't work together and they don't live near each yeah. other and they have nothing to do with each other. But he obviously was having an affair with her and then murdered her out of spite and then he killed himself because he couldn't live with the guilt. It's like you such just go buy a book, soap people. opera. Fuck. <laughs> so eventually his name was actually like publicly cleared by authorities saying that he had nothing to do with Betty's murder. But that led police, that led uh, people, sorry, including his own family to wonder if whoever killed Betty also killed the doctor. But there's no connection between the two in life or death that anyone can find. Mm -hmm. A big reason that people wonder if Dr. Carter's death was a murder is because he didn't leave a suicide note and there wasn't any obvious signs of turmoil. So the family thinks maybe there's the potential that he was actually murdered. Mm -hmm. He did not commit suicide. And if he was murdered, because it's only a couple days apart from Betty, is there a link somehow? Was it the same crazed person? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another theory. Yeah. Um, uh, that it was either <laughs> a mistaken mistaken identity because the doctor maybe wanted this receptionist killed or the... the the doctor had nothing to do with it and somebody knew that this receptionist walked down the road and just wanted keys to the drug cabinet because she she did report like being followed at some point Mm -hmm. so like it's just in my opinion a very it's all a stretch i don't buy for a fucking second this like oh she would have they wanted keys to the like drug cabinet (laughs) like no, one, this was the most vicious fucking beating. Yeah. Uh, they hucked her over a, a fence to continue the beating. Mm-hmm. And her underwear was removed. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the only reason that didn't happen was someone happened upon that area again. Yeah. Um, It wasn't a good stakeout location. Like, no, none of that makes sense. No. At all. It doesn't make sense to me either. It's just, I think, really... None of this would even be a theory or even have been discussed so heavily if the doctor didn't die a couple days later. Yeah, and I feel like they were both like front page news. Yeah, so their like photos, their photos were together. like on the front page oh, together. Yeah. So people were like, oh, this has to be connected. People when think it's... they're fucking Sherlock Holmes because <laughs> they saw the front newspaper. Yeah. So the family, like, 
the children of the doctor do wonder if it was not a suicide if something else happened but they even them they themselves have have said like we don't find any connect there's no connection between the doctor and betty we also don't know if our father met foul play Mm -hmm. but we just sometimes wonder if it was suicide or not yeah understandably so yeah that ends the police investigations and their theory um the they did a lot of investigating like i said they had the police um they were like no one's on leave anymore everyone's back on duty we're investigating this they were reaching out to all all the other states in australia and Mm -hmm. they they followed up on hundreds of leads they were checking out all kinds of people they even held an inquest they they were doing what they could but ultimately the trail and then eventually the case went cold right um but that doesn't mean that uh there's no more theories of course not we still have three theories really um to talk about these theories are you know um i'll let them speak for themselves (laughs) buckle up do you like horror movies do you like hanging out with your buddy do you like cracking jokes and having a good time do you just like fun well consider checking out spoils of horror we are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week we're not doing reviews we're just gonna hang out talk about the movies we love with each other and hopefully the ones you love too Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. Lyle Reed, author of The Thomas Street Affair, believes a former police officer and one-time uncle is responsible. One-time uncle because it, it, he was married to this guy's aunt and they divorced, so. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a dickish, you know, like, moniker to give a one-time uncle. One-time uncle. He wants to be clear because he, <laughs> he's saying that this guy murdered Betty. Yeah. So he's like, one-time uncle, okay? One time. That's Just it. Just once. He's not here anymore. One time, that's enough. <clears throat> so he says, quote, I interviewed my father's only living sibling, my auntie, who is very fragile, but I have on a CD disc the session I spent with her. I'm just going to interject this, this quote I'm saying right now and just say, it's a pet peeve of mine if people say the word after the abbreviation or CD whatever. Disc? CD disc. Compact or when, pe- disc. when people say ATM machine. Yeah. Like, what, what were we watching? And I was like, why are they saying machine? It is a m- ATM machine. Doesn't make any oh, sense. Oh, Woodstock 99. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, because they the riders uh, went to the... <laughs> Calling them riders. Ven- vendors section, <laughs> and they found ATM machines, and then they just started It's not ATM them. machine. ATM. No, they called it ATM machine. Yeah. They're like, oh my God, they're after the ATM machines. But my oh, favorite so part was... My favorite part was like that was a clip and then it cut to the voiceover and he's like, and then they found the ATMs. Yeah. <laughs> like he made a point of it. It's ATMs. My God. 
anyway, sorry, I have CD disc. Dude, it's a CD. Like, how yeah. old are you? <sighs> okay, to finish Probably the Probably used a floppy, floppy disc, so True. the CD is like a new... Okay, to finish the quote, she has no doubt in the world and says on the tape, he did it, Lyle, he did it. In my book, I will produce the evidence. The man was a brute and a rogue police officer. End quote. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry. So, Reed, Lyle Reed, claims to have solved the mystery of what caused that distinctive imprint on Betty's forehead. When we were talking about it before, I said, like, it'll, it'll keep coming up. Mm-hmm. So... Straight up, the next three theories that I I will talk about, about what happened to Betty, each theory is by an author of a different book about mm-hmm. Betty. And they're, you know, I don't know, really know what the term is, but they're like, big like, aha, is that they've solved the riddle of this imprint. And if you want to find out about it, you have to buy my book. Yeah, which I straight up did not buy any of the books. No, it's all available not. online, what yeah. these theories are. So, uh, yeah, just just like honestly, that's what these three theories are. Okay. Um, these authors who have... I'm immediately suspicious if someone's like, if you want to find out, you got to buy the book. It's Yeah, it's just... Like, dude, someone's dead. You want to just fucking stop playing coy and say what happened? Plus, it's we already know it's an unsolved case. Yeah. The police... Think about how intensely they investigated this. Mm-hmm. It is sad that there is no conclusion. Obviously, it is still a cold case, but they would have. Each of these authors are so certain that they're. They are the ones that have solved the mystery of this imprint. Mm-hmm. They obviously took it to the police. Mm-hmm. The police didn't. Obviously, didn't close the case. So. Yeah. Exactly. Just take everything with a grain of salt. But they are the theories that are out there, and some people, um, could think that they are on the right track or like maybe that does account for this mark on their head or the story lines up or whatever so yeah interesting to talk about no matter what Mm -hmm. so yes he claims that this mark on betty's forehead uh was caused by a rubber knee grip on the side of the fuel tank of a motorcycle so on the like you know how like the fuel tank sits right up front on top yep on the sides of it there's these rubber pads and they have like little nubs or lines or something so that your knees can grip onto them. Right. So he thinks that this rubber knee grip is what is made the, has made the imprint on Betty's head. That's very odd. So his theory, the police officer struck Betty while riding the motorcycle, threw her badly injured body over a nearby fence, and then returned an hour later to make sure that she was dead. He tampered with her clothing to make the crime scene appear sexually motivated, and was then startled when she let out a loud moan. Reed writes in his book, quote, He instantly placed both of his enormous hands around Betty's throat and proceeded to strangle the remaining life from Betty's Betty's battered body, end quote. Uh... Okay. <laughs> sure. Um. So, Reed has demonstrated his theory with some black shoe polish, a shoe brush, and a knee pad from a 1952 motorcycle. Knee grip, knee pad, they're called so a, both. So, a brand new motorcycle for the year. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a police, right? So, yeah, they, okay. he's thinking they would have brand new ones. Or maybe he knew that they had brand new ones. I okay. don't know. 
So on the inner border of the knee pad, there are like hundreds of these little rubber nubs. So Reed applied the polish to the knee pad and placed it on a piece of paper to produce what he believes is a quote unquote identical reproduction of the imprint on Betty's forehead. Would you like to see the knee pad? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So again, here's Betty's forehead. Right. This is a, I had to Google so hard to find this, by the way. This is a 1950s um, knee grip. Okay. Little nubbies. There's also this one. Yeah. I mean. Can I point out the obvious? Yeah. It's a, it's a print, like a, it's an impression on like rubber. Mm-hmm. But it looks like fucking anything else that would have grip. I know. <laughs> it's just. And this, I found a 1950s, a picture of a 1950s police bike. Oh, nice. Can you point out the grip? So it would have been around here somewhere. By the by, the gas can. This so... is where the knee grips would be because you'd be seated here. But I mean, I don't see anything rubber. Yeah, and the other thing too is like um. If you got hit by the bike, you're telling me the biggest fucking mark she got was the grip? Well, he has some answers about that. Oh, good. So he... I'll, I'll jump to that part now since you mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thinks that the clutch lever from the motorcycle is responsible for one another one of Betty's injuries. He said, quote... I firmly believed that this lever penetrated the right side of Betty's mandible or jaw. It penetrated through the fleshy part of the mandible, dislodged her molar tooth, then went further down and shockingly lacerated the fleshy part of her tongue. It spiraled down and the tip of the lever lodged just above the larynx. He's saying she deep-throated the clutch lever. And that's what took out her tooth and ripped up some parts of her mouth. But I no, I don't even know if parts of her tongue and stuff are ripped up. Yeah. And also, like, if you're doing that when you were getting hit, like, I'm sorry, your face is going to look fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're, like, you, road rash is a thing. Yeah, you would be, and also the, then you would, there would be blood all over the road. Yeah. There, the, big thing that the investigators know is that she was she was attacked on that footpath but all like the majority of the blood and the chaos was in the yard and people heard a scream and they didn't hear tires squealing and they didn't hear a crash just like you could poke so many holes through this i know so yeah i just i'll i just jumped to that part because you had said like wouldn't she have other injuries so that's Mm -hmm. apparently one Mm-hmm. Also, something to that is important for this, his theory, is that the the knee grip leaving the imprint on her forehead wasn't even his first thought. He has pre- like had previous theories uh, for what made that mark on her head. So, for example, one was the lapel of a traffic glove, a traffic policeman's glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other theory is that the left-hand side grip from a different motorcycle did it, but he likes the theory that the knee pad, the knee grip did it. He really, he really seems to like the idea that a cop did it. <clears throat> yeah. Like, he just 
it well it's either the it's either the grip or it's his glove it's the grip <laughs> it's a grip it's a different grip or it's a glove or yeah like why why did it have to be a cop for this guy at all like it i just okay anyway i guess because he interviewed his aunt who was yeah. like he did it i know he did it yeah so um yeah he he claims that this his theory about the clutch, about the knee pad, it perfectly matches Betty's injuries. And since the murderer was a police officer, there was a conspiracy to cover up the crime. Right. Which is why we're, no matter how many people were investigating this, how many police officers, leads they're following up, no matter anything they did. That's mm-hmm. why there's never been an answer. It's because it's a cover up. Yeah, a thin blue line at its worst. So that's the that's uh, Lyle Reed's theory that it was a former police officer, and these in- injuries were from the motorcycle. Okay. I mean, it's something you know. He did work to do it, but I don't buy it. Yeah, it's also like he did work to. He has a notion in his head, and he's. It seems Building like his he's case to it, not yeah. not the other way around. That's how it seems to me. I mean. I don't want to like totally tear it down. I did not do any of this work. Mm-hmm. That's his theory. He wrote a whole book about it. Mm-hmm. I there is people that believe this theory, so that's why we're talking about it because it's one of the theories. Yeah, and if you think I'm being a critical asshole, feel free to let us know at Dark Adaptations Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> or on our website. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong to have. It's not bad to have like. Your thoughts and opinions. Yeah, just consider me the counterweight if you're really, really into this theory. Well, here's another theory for you. Okay. Ted does, does, author of I Know Who Killed Betty Shanks. Yes, he does. Believes Betty was murdered by a jilted lover. Oh, yeah. All right. This one is, this one is pretty interesting, actually. So, Delsha Deshi, Desh who was Delsha Steri in 1952. Mm-hmm. She was 16 years old when she went to the Fortitude Valley Police. Fortitude Valley is like a 10-minute drive away from Grange. So oh. it's just another like suburb. Yeah. And she told them that in 1952, when she was eight years old, her father, Eric Steri, killed Betty after she rebuffed him. Oh, no. Delsha believes her father was in a relationship with Betty, after telling the police uh, this the story, like, my, my father killed her, the okay. police said, oh, Delsha, you should not say things like this about your father. Oh. You know, we know him. Oh, no. So her father um, was, like, a, car- a carpenter and a locksmith, and he actually ch- was in charge of the locks and changing the locks and repairing them at the, for the jail cells at the, at the station. Oh. So they were like, don't say such things about your father. Yeah, so the cops could be buddies with them. Yeah. So in the years that followed, Delsha made two more attempts to tell the police this story. But each time, they they were like, get get out of here. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I'm starting to believe Delsha. She's sticking to this and keeps coming back. Like, no, I'm not fucking kidding. Yeah, she came. So three times in total. Finally, in 2013, she told her story to Ted Does, and Ted wrote the book, I Know Who Killed Betty Shanks. So about that forehead abrasion, because remember, every author has their theories about this. Mm-hmm. Belcha provided a different and detailed explanation of the mark. So it wasn't from a motorcycle, uh, you know, knee grip, knee pad, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, Ted claims that at first glance, at first glance, the patterned mark appears to have been stamped on Betty's forehead by someone using like a rubber stamp or something like that. Okay. And that's how also how Delsha explained it when they were talking. So he's saying that like, you know, when you look at it, it does kind of look like a stamp. And then when he was talking to Delsha later, she was like described it the same way. Like it's a forceful like stamping. So in the 50s, it was common to have your shoes repaired, like I said. Mm-hmm. And one of these repairs was gluing a patterned rubber sole over the leather sole to protect it. Yeah. If the murderer was wearing a pair of shoes like this and stomped on Betty's forehead, it could leave the patterned mark on her forehead. So that's what they're saying about that. Yeah. And she, that makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Because like the shoe polish on her face yeah. already the tooth that was kicked out mm-hmm. and also like one of my shoes actually has that oh it's not, yeah uh, it's not uh patterned like that mine's obviously for winter grip oh i forgot but, you yeah. do have a pair of shoes like that and they're little dots oh yeah they're not like parallel dots in a perfect line or anything they're just random Sporadic. but like they're the same size yeah and yeah. It, and that's what she's saying about her father's pair of shoes here so she says that she remembers taking her father's shoes to a bootmaker in fortitude valley to have rubber soles glued onto them and she regularly polished his she called them brogues so (laughs) brogues they're like she with ornamental perforated patterns in the leather it's like typical old school like 50s shoes these ones oh yeah they almost look like uh golfing shoes golfing shoes they're sometimes called rockabilly Oh, well, yeah, okay, rockabilly. They look like a, mm-hmm. if you were going bowling, you know, they give you yeah. those classy, sh- classy. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> they give you the shoes. That's, it's just one of those, like, traditional style, like, um, not really a loafer. So, it's a patent leather shoe. <laughs> yeah. So, she regularly polished his brogues, and uh, almost always with brown nugget, but if there was no brown nugget available, then she would use black nugget. That's the name of, that's like the brand yep. of the shoe polish. This explains why I walked in and I was like, what are you shoe shopping? And I was a little concerned because I'm like, please don't buy those. <laughs> don't buy those, like, obviously men's style brogues. <laughs> I mean, if you showed up with men's shoes, they're going to fault you for them. I have men's wondering why they're... shoes. <laughs> I have men's shoes because yeah. I have big feet, you know? <laughs> Congratulations. I'm just kidding. There are men's shoes, but it's not because my feet are huge. It's because... Men's shoes are sometimes comfier. Yeah. Sometimes you just like the style. There's no reason to dude shoes. Yeah. So I was not shopping for 1950s rockabilly shoes. I was looking up. I was trying to find the soles of the shoes and see what type of <laughs> shoes they were just to paint this picture for you guys. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Delsha also says that he was wearing those shoes the night that Betty was murdered. These shoes that have that similar rubber sole that have the polish on them because she's the one that took him to get this soul. She's the one that would polish them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, something else that's interesting is that in February 2014, Delsha managed to obtain not only her father's war service military records, but also her father's war service medical records. Nice. So these records show that her father, Eric, suffered from severe mental problems over a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also show that he was discharged from the RAAF on mental health grounds in April 1945. Okay. Royal Australian Air Force. Mm-hmm. 
a medical officer wrote, quote, Eric Steria becomes violent at home, is afraid he might injure someone. An RAAF psychiatrist wrote that Eric is a quote-unquote potential psychotic. Oh my god. As late as July 10th, 1950, just two years before Betty was killed, Eric was diagnosed by a different psychiatrist with quote-unquote anxiety hysteria. Anxiety hysteria involves behavior exhibiting excessive or uncontrolled emotion and could involve a panic disorder, which is characterized by recurrent unexpected panic attacks. Okay. So he was experiencing these things and sort of becoming hysterical and like ungrounded. Okay. Uh, according to Ted, so the author that wrote the book, these medical records provide vital supporting evidence for Delsha's claim to the police that her father killed Betty. But because the police disbelieved her, they never even learned how disturbed he was. They didn't even take her story seriously, let alone investigate if he could have done it. Mm-hmm. So if they had only known, like, he has a volatile past. He's mentally unwell. And she would fucking know if he flies off the handle if she lived with him. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh. So, honestly, this theory is very compelling, and we only keep getting more um, sort of reasons to run with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of Betty's job was to organize maintenance on Commonwealth buildings in Brisbane. This work was usually carried out by employees from the State Department of Public Works. Now, Eric was one of these employees. He was a carpenter and a locksmith, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Delsha's mother told her that Eric got to know Betty through his work connection. Sometime after Betty won half of the grand prize of the Golden Casket Lottery in April 1952. So Betty's share was $3,000 at the time. Oh, no. (laughs) In Australian money? And I've converted it to... um, I feel stupid. I don't even... Dollars. What the fuck is Australian money anyway? Well, I think at the time it was pounds. I don't think it is anymore, but at the time it was... Yeah. So it was $3,000 at the time, and today that means it's over $63,000. Oh. Yeah, so she got a good chunk of change. Oh, damn. So Betty spent some of this money on renovations to her parents' house, because she's a sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And one of these jobs involved changing the locks. According to Delsha's mother, Eric carried out this work. Okay. So he would have known her even more intimately. Um, it makes sense if this is true, because of Betty's job. She was used to working with these, the public works employees. Mm-hmm. If she's in charge of organizing some of this work, she's going to meet Eric and know Eric and be like, yo, you already do this as your job. Can you help, help my parents change their locks on their home? Mm-hmm. So that's what um, Delsha's mother said. Yeah. Uh, Eric did. Um, something else is that Delsha described her mother as a party girl who did not accept responsibility for the family. She was often away from home. The parents' marriage was falling apart, and Eric was becoming increasingly more unhinged. Mm-hmm. And Delsha believes it's possible that her father, quote, began to see Betty as a possible future life partner, end quote. Okay. So because he's becoming unhinged, he's not having a good marriage at home, and she's, like, asking him to do favors, and they work together. He's, like, m- there's a possibility, according to Delsha, that in his head he's like, hey, this could be someone for me. Look mm-hmm. how nice she is. Yeah. There's no She's evidence. She's a fine prospect. <laughs> there <laughs> you know, is. I feel, I feel dirty saying that. 
It was a lot. There is no evidence that Betty shared Eric's feelings or was even involved with him. There's also no evidence that Eric felt this way. It's just what the family has seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only evidence is potential evidence, and it is photographic. So three people at the Grand Tram Terminus mm-hmm. on the night of the murder gave evidence at the inquest in February 1953 that they saw a man in a brown suit moving restlessly about as he apparently waited for a tram passenger to arrive. One of these people described a man in detail as well as the clothes that he was wearing. Another person actually spoke to this man. A third person saw the man under the awning of the cycle shop about one or two minutes before the tram carrying Betty arrived at the terminus. Okay. I, I believe the cycle shop was just a shop like right near it. Okay. The descriptions provided by these three witnesses match almost exactly a photo of Eric in his brown suit. Oh. Delsh remembers the night of the murder very well. Her father had driven with her and her brother to Grange to meet Betty when she returned from her night class by tram. He parked the car. Dyson, you can get your little map out. Okay. So he parked the car... On Inglis Street next to the state school. So it's okay. parallel if you're looking at the map. The school is next to the crime scene and Inglis Street runs parallel to Thomas Street. Mm-hmm. So it's on the opposite side of the school. So apparently that's where Eric parked and left Delsha and her brother to sleep on the back seat of the car. And he was gone for a long time. Nearly two hours passed before he returned to the car and drove them back home to Bowen Hills. Bowen Hills is a suburb uh, north of Brisbane, and it's about an eight-minute drive from this area on English Street. Okay. In an email to Ted in 2013, Delsha wrote, quote, When we got home, we were told to go to bed. My brother shared a bed with me. He was too scared to sleep alone. My father stayed out in the yard, and after a while, I smelt smoke. When we walked past our bedroom, he was naked. There was no doors on any of the rooms in the house, and the lights from his room shined down the hall. She went on to to say, sorry, end quote. She went on to say that her mother wasn't home that night or the next night, and she believes that her father burnt his suit and clothes that night. The next day, he told Delsha to clean the front seat of the car, wash the floor of the car on the driver's side, and clean his shoes. She thought that she was cleaning mud out of the tread, or it wasn't tread, it was something else. She called it something weird. I don't remember what she called it. Like this out of the soul whatever those yeah, yeah like, okay. uh, but she uh, claims to have realized later that it was actually blood skin and tissue it wasn't mud oh but she was only eight yeah so also of significance is the fact that eric kept a photograph of betty in his photo album which was the only non-family photo in the album to Ted, this implicates that in Eric's mind, there was some connection between the two, and Delsha believes he could have kept it as a memento. Yeah, there may have been some connection there. I don't know what kind of photo. I don't know if it was like an actual photograph. I don't know if it was a newspaper like a newspaper clipping of her photo. I don't think it matters. Yeah, but regardless, yeah. it was a photo of Betty, supposedly, according to Delsha, in the family photo album, and it's the only non-family photo. Yep. So it's, it's the only thing stands out like a sore thumb. 
It's a pretty interesting theory. It's also the only theory where there's it doesn't seem as far reaching as yeah. for example Lyle Reed's theory. It seems that there you can actually connect it for example of like mm-hmm. well Betty knew um Eric Sterry like everyone knows they knew each other. He, yeah, he came to their house corroborated by people saying like we saw him and everything. Mm-hmm. The does he have a moon face? Um no. No. Okay. Well, but you know. also, that was just a taxi driver who saw a moon-faced man supposedly yes, leap. I'm emotionally connected to the idea of a moon-faced man. I can so. show you a photo here of Eric Sterry in his brown suit. I would love that. Eric Sterry in the brown suit. That's a good name. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> this is Eric in his brown suit. Okay. He doesn't yeah. have a moon face. No. But it's... I mean, I don't know when this photo's from. Maybe he developed a moon face. Oh, maybe. Yeah. He had a very oblong shaped head. Oblong. Yeah. It's a long face for sure. But also, I, as we're looking at this photo, just like, look how he has huge hands. Yeah, he does. Look how fucking big this motherfucker's hands are. I think it's his arms too. Look at the reach on that dude. He looks like Slender Man. Whoa, his hands are huge. Maybe, oh my god, that is compelling. Yeah, I, I gotta be honest, I'm actually very sold on this one. I This is the one that I am sold on as well, if it if I have to be sold on any of them. Mm-hmm. um, It's just always, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, you at don't the know end what of, you don't know. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is just a theory, and also the these three theories that I've, well, two, and then we'll get to the third one um they're written by people who are trying to sell their book so yeah it's just it's all cool to talk about but i do also personally my opinion and your opinion really don't matter but you know Mm -hmm. it is cool this one does seem quite compelling ready to hear the last theory oh yes so, former police reporter Ken Blanche believes it was a former army driver who would be in his 80s today if he was still alive. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this man was questioned by detectives in 1952 about trying to lure a teenage girl into his army vehicle on the Gold Coast. Just for a little bit of context, the Brisbane had soldiers everywhere in 1952 because of the Korean War, which happened oh, yeah. between 1950 and 1953, so... Um, that war was going on, and it was the first of Australia's original national service intake that had started in 1952, so there were soldiers everywhere. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, why is this relevant at all, you're probably asking. Yeah, a little bit. So, Ken said he came across this man, this army driver, when he was researching a totally separate murder for a book he was writing about a taxi driver who was murdered on the Gold Coast. And when he was going through the police file, he found that the investigating detectives had mistakenly filed this report about the army driver in with the documents for the murdered taxi driver. And the mistake probably happened because both filings would have been under Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. So he says, this author Ken says, quote, 
A girl complained that a soldier driving an army car inveigled her into the car, told her he would drive her home because he knew a friend of hers and proceeded to drive her in the opposite direction. She escaped from the car and reported it to police. The two detectives investigating the taxi driver murder got this report and the girl got this report from the girl and tracked the army driver back to his platoon at Peel Street, South Brisbane, and questioned him about trying to lure the 17-year-old girl into the army vehicle at Southport. They interviewed him, and because there was some confusion about the times and dates, they were unable to take any action against him. But in their report, they suggested that a copy of their investigation be filed with the MO section, modus operandi section, Okay. Of the CIB because they believed this soldier would commit a sex offense again. Okay, like alarming, but not necessarily anything tying it to this case. Tying it to Betty? Yeah. I know. I know. It seems that way. So just just hang on for Ken for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. So he, Ken says that the army driver was never questioned about Betty's murder. Quote, nobody ever connected the two incidents. The first Betty Shanks investigators knew about the incident on the coast was when I told them about it, end quote. So Ken says the army driver who lived close to Brisbane at the time could well have been in Brisbane on the night of the murder of Betty because there was a dress rehearsal for an army tattoo at the exhibition grounds. To Ken, this meant that there was a lot of soldiers moving around Brisbane on that night. Quote, as an army driver, that bloke would have been involved in all of the movement connected with that. He would have been involved in driving all of the people, end quote. Ken said the mark left on Betty's forehead after her death suggested to him that this person was wearing shoes that left a particular pattern um, from when she was being kicked during the attack. Mm-hmm. Quote, I formed the opinion that she was kicked by someone wearing heavy footwear because of the force that was used. I thought to myself... Who wears heavy footwear? And I came to the conclusion that soldiers wear heavy footwear, end quote. This theory is reinforced by the fact that boot polish was found on her body. So Ken believes, number one, this man, this army driver, had been living in a nursing home uh, in Brisbane's north side in 2007, but has since disappeared. He can't find him. So he's maybe dead or maybe just fell off the map. I don't know. Okay. And two, Ken believes that this there's this mystery DNA that was obtained from the shirt that Betty was wearing, and he thinks that this DNA could belong to the army driver. So I haven't mentioned this mystery DNA like at all mm-hmm. because it's unlikely that any DNA that is obtained from this clothing, even if it can be obtained, is going to yield anything. Do you want to know why? Yes. For 40 years, her clothing was kept on display at the Brisbane Exhibition, where thousands, thousands of attendees were allowed to hold it and examine it. (sighs) And it is, like, anything that was on there is totally, completely destroyed and contaminated. Yeah, no chance in hell. Even if you got a sample, there's no way a court would ever accept it. No, absolutely not. So, like, it doesn't really matter that there could be mystery DNA on the shirt because it's totally invalid now. Mm-hmm. So that's why I never mentioned it. But Ken thinks that this army driver's DNA will be on that shirt. And again, even if it was, he could simply say, well, that shirt was in a fucking on display for 40 years. Yeah. I went there. I've lived in the area. Me and the rest of the country. Yeah. yeah. So it 
to me, I'm like, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Uh, Overruled. Yeah. <laughs> so that was long-winded, but we got to get inside Ken's mind there for his theory. So he thinks an army driver did it because he was likely in the area and had kicked heavy footwear. Had heavy footwear. <laughs> You know, or someone had a really good kick. I, <laughs> you know, I like that. I formed the opinion that she was kicked by someone. <coughs> Why do I keep getting possessed? I'm all gone. I'm taking this very seriously. <laughs> it's hot in here. It's getting drier in here. I'm getting well. Well, I'm getting sweatier. Okay. So that is the last of the three theories from the authors. Uh, I think, you know, like based on how we've been talking about it, I personally am a fan of Ted's theory. Yes. And Delsha's theory. I mean, he doesn't, Ted does not have a theory without Delsha. So it's really Delsha. 100%. She was the one to, like, Ted was just the one being like, oh, I'm writing the book. Listen to this one person over here. Mm hmm. Yeah, someone. I'm the first one to listen to her. You know, she actually has tried to go to the police three times now. So yeah, I'll write a book so much about to it. Me. Like that, she's not stopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like, where's your head at? Is that where your head's at? That seems oh, most yeah. fitting. I'm, I'm definitely rooted in Delsha's theory that I, it was Eric Sterry. It just makes so much sense. It really does, and like she even points out the actual connections like these people knew each other mm-hmm. this do- guy does have a history of going off the handle and is violent at home in his family life yeah doctors wrote that he's violent at home he's worried he's going to interest yeah, someone doctors it's his not even like ang- anxious hysteria he's yeah. a potential psychotic yeah and like he's got very large hands his hands are so big <laughs> yeah or again there will be pictures on instagram dark adaptation podcast so you can and- look at this and the other thing, too, parking the hands. car on the other side of the school. On Inglis, yeah. And just saying, like, just sleep in the car for a minute. Like, I'll, And then I'll he's be back. gone for, like, two hours. And then he's burning his clothes. Yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And then she has to clean his shoes. And there's, it's like, right there to me. Has like, a photo in a photo album. Yeah. They work yeah. together. Yeah, like, I know that people could be, like, you know, like, <clears throat> weirder shit has happened. And I'll completely agree with that. But as far as all the stuff presented to me right now, that's pretty fucking convincing i agree i'm not condemning a dude but i'm saying that's pretty fucking convincing mm-hmm. yeah i wish that it that we knew for sure but as we know this is an unsolved murder mm-hmm. over the years uh, several people have confessed to murdering betty um however all of those have proven to be false confessions and her murder remains unsolved right that would happen with the largest oh yeah there's always like deathbed confessions or well this person told me that this person did it and i killed amelia Earhart. Oh. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like if it's a big known case for sure yeah. there's always those people yeah. officially police have no suspects or suspect behind closed doors maybe that's different like maybe they're just not talking about where their leads are going yeah. uh but queensland's Queensland's cold case detectives from the state crime command have repeatedly refused any comment on the progress of Betty's case. Okay. So again, that could be because behind closed doors, maybe they are working on something. But again, I'm I'm just saying that. I have no idea if that's the case. Yeah, they also do those like, uh, I was going to say cool. I don't know if it's cool or not. You'd be the judge. Where they have like 
details, but they don't share it because they want to see if someone's telling the truth or not. Hold back evidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love when they do that. Hold back I think evidence, it's so yeah. clever. You know, <laughs> it's like this like little clue. Yeah. Anyway. So it is infuriating to the public or the family, but they're like, it's hold back evidence. It's if this is brought to us as a tip, we know that that person was there because it's such a specific detail. Yeah. So maybe, maybe there is some kind of hold back evidence. Yeah. In 2010, the minister of police approved a reward for $50,000 to be offered for information, which leads to the apprehension and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the murder. And that reward is still active today. There is still a $50,000 reward for information nice. that leads. Around. Even though it's like a while back, they're like, no, it still matters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any member of the public with information which could assist police is asked to contact Brisbane's Homicide Investigation Group by phone at 0733646122 or Crime Stoppers Australia at 1-800-333-000. Um, for Crime Stoppers, good job. Yeah, <laughs> I'll end it on a quote from Ken, even though his theory was meh. Yeah, he did say something that I liked. Mm-hmm. Quote: Had Betty lived, she most likely would have found love, had a family, and now be enjoying her twilight years if her life had not been taken. Betty was a lovely young woman, devoted to her family, and unusually for the time, intent on pursuing an academic career. End quote. Yeah, that's really nice. That's who Betty was. She was fucking so comfortable in her skin. She knew exactly what she wanted. And 22. Baby. Yeah. yeah. A baby. Horribly murdered. Horribly. And I, really, at the end of the day, no matter what the theory is or what actually happened, some sicko mm-hmm. murdered a 22-year-old woman yeah. who was just trying to walk home after trying to build this life for herself, going to night classes, working. Yeah, her life hasn't even really started yet. No, she's still, like, figuring out who she is. Mm. And it's just, you know, obviously very sad. But there is still this reward for $50,000, and I don't know, it has been years. I mean, this was 1952, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, maybe someone's, like, grandma's getting ready to kick it. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like in i the have not, information in the biblical sense not the beastie boy sense <laughs> no kick it like <laughs> let's party oh, oh okay all right <laughs> <laughs> just kidding that's i know very grim way to say it very blunt but uh, you never know someone could have heard something said something there could be information still out there there's a reward you have the numbers let's, let's figure out this cold case man just, yeah. just because right now it's the most notorious unsolved murder doesn't mean it always has to be. It could become the most notorious solved murder. Yeah, imagine you, you that could be your legacy. You, you helped can, solve. You can help solve that. Queensland, Queen. <laughs> Queensland. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, people? Yeah. I love you very much for <laughs> sticking in this long. <laughs> Um, I'm really interested to hear if uh, everyone else th- thinks that Tom Ted, sorry Ted's theory is the most fitting. I'm interested if you guys have like other theories that maybe I did not talk about or I didn't come across in my research. If especially if you're from Australia, like have you ever heard anything, any sort of like theory? Yeah. Like, what's uh, what's the talk on the uh, playground over there? Yeah, down on. 
down under there. We said we wouldn't do it. I didn't. I know. Just warning. You. I was trying to think of a joke, but I couldn't. Down <laughs> under there. Under I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sweaty and slap happy. Okay. Yeah. I am actually very interested to hear what people have to say about this and if yeah. they think any of these theories are fitting or, again, if they've heard something else or whatever. So you can follow us on Instagram to see pictures um, if you haven't already been following uh, the pictures related to the case. You can also get in touch with us on Instagram to be like, hey, I also really liked that theory by Ted. His was definitely spot on. Eric did it. Or mm-hmm. none of these are good. They all suck. Anything, really. It's just your opinion, and yeah. you're allowed to have it. That'll be a tour. I would love to read why people think that, that that our leading theory is wrong. Right. I would love to hear it. Yeah. yeah. I just would be interested to hear what anyone thinks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so thanks, guys, for listening. That's um the unsolved murder of Betty Shanks. So there we go. Loved it. Guess what else? What else? Next week, Paige is joining us. Oh. And we're going to talk about Mothman. Oh, some cryptids with some wings. I love Mothman. I'm fascinated by Mothman. I can't wait for Paige to tell me about Mothman. Yeah, this is probably your most anticipated. Personally? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Paige, just do it. Tell me about Mothman. <laughs> and all of you, come back next week and listen to Paige talk about Mothman and until then we'll catch you on the dark side bye all right Lyle Reed author of the Thomas Street Affair believes that a former police officer and one to- <laughs> I have no idea what happened to my voice. <laughs> Was I just possessed? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> you sound like the teenager in The Simpsons that always has the shitty, like... Fast food jobs. <laughs> Coming right up, sir. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, can we please? Oh, you want to cut that? Can we put, just put it in a blooper or something? Yeah, alright, we'll cut it. Because <laughs> it's so much. <laughs>